1: All right, and welcome to Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, the Kentucky Guy. And I'm your other co-host, Donny Cage. Hey, sir, how's it going?
0: It's going good, sir. How are you doing on this fine, fine Monday night?
1: I am doing great. There is so much going on in the world of professional wrestling. What, what a news weekend. And uh, I'm kind of pumped up about it. We have the Raw. 30th anniversary show tonight And we also have uh uh the uh, royal rumble coming up at the end of the week so a lot of cool things getting ready to happen i think absolutely all right folks so if this is your first time listening uh we do drop new episodes here every monday and friday we are on all major platforms including iHeartRadio, pandora google Podcasts, spotify and the list goes on also mr cage does have his own podcast that he co-hosts with and sir, I'll let you go ahead and tell them about Uncaged Voice.
0: Thank you. The Uncaged Voice podcast just dropped its first new episode of 2023 on YouTube. If you want to check it out, it is myself, top tier rated, and Jigsaw Jester talking about all sorts of entertainment topics, including a little bit about wrestling. But uh, but most of that is usually reserved for this
1: podcast. Yes, and we appreciate that. Uh, also, if you ever are you in the politics, current events, things of that nature or you like to listen to interesting interviews, I do host the Red Pill Current News Podcast, and we drop new episodes there every Wednesday and Saturday. We're on all the same platforms as this one. If you'd ever like to be a guest on this show, or have any questions for Donnie or myself, you can always email us at olkentucky99ayahoo.com. That's Kentucky spelled out, 99ayahoo.com. I was actually on Rad Radio FM today, talking about our podcast here Donnie and uh, they had a lot of good things to say we talked a lot about old school wrestling we went over like our top five uh, favorite rivalries from the past we talked about the Royal Rumble coming up it was was very awesome and one of the guys on the show he actually shocked me his top uh, feuds rivalry was Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes I was like wow so there's a guy that at one time, was definitely a wrestling fan. So that was very interesting as well. You guys get a chance to check that out. They're on all audio platforms. They're also on YouTube. And that's Rod Rod FM Radio. So you get a chance to check it out. Okay, so let's go ahead and get started in today's show. If you've not listened to the show before, basically our first segment is our my fantasy book. Basically, Donnie picks a wrestler, I pick a wrestler. And we talk about them, if they were unsuccessful or not as successful as they could have been in a certain promotion, we would have talked how they, we would have took their careers over different and booked them maybe in different matches or all the way around where they could have prolonged or been more successful in their career. And uh, as always, Mr. Cage, I'll let you start us off. Thank you, Kentucky Guy. Well, my pick for fantasy
0: booking this week, is a legend in the business. He is a WWE Hall of Famer. Always been recognized as probably one of the best workers. A great talker. Just a great, great hand in the locker room. A person who had fierce loyalty to whatever company he worked for. I am talking about Martin Anthony Lund. A.K.A. The Enforcer. Double A Arn Anderson. Now, Arn Anderson's career started in 1982 in Georgia Championship Wrestling, and his first big break came in 1984 when he was paired with Ole Anderson, who was his storyline uncle, and made a part of the tag team, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Arn Anderson later went on to more famously become a part of the Four Horsemen alongside wrestlers such as Ric Flair, Ole Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Sid Vicious, Barry Windham, and so many other wrestlers. Just a very, very famous stable. And Arn Anderson was a a, a centerpiece of this staple. Always cutting straight to the point. Serious promos. That was his style, and he was great at it. He was amazing in the ring. Delivered, to this day, the best spine buster and one of the best DDTs in the business. Understood in-ring psychology. There are just so many different guys in the business who should watch old tapes of Arne Anderson. They could learn so many things from this guy. He still works in the business to this day as a uh, road agent and manager for all elite wrestling. But to talk about some of this man's accolades, he was an NWA WCW world television champion four times, an NWA world tag team champion one time, an NWA national tag team champion A five time WCW NWA World Tag Team Champion. Was ranked number nine of 500 best wrestlers in the PWI 500 in 1991. Ranked number two, excuse me, number 62 of 500 singles wrestlers of the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Years in 2003. Was ranked as a part of Feuds of the Year, Tag Teams of the Year and as I said, WWE Hall of Famer, and of course a WWF Tag Team Champion alongside Tully Blanchard when he was part of the Brain Brain Busters. So, based on what I've read to you right there, his resume, it sounds like he's done everything in the business, pretty much. But there's one thing Arn Anderson never was, unfortunately, and he never was booked as a world champion. Now, I don't want to go so far as to say that he was screwed over in any way, because I feel he was booked very strong throughout his career. But there were definitely a couple of opportunities in there where even if it was just for a short period of time, I feel like Arn Anderson, just for his dedication to the business and his amazing ring work and his loyalty to the company, particularly to WCW, he could have had at least a brief world title run. And particularly in 1993, around the time that the four horsemen were reformed. Now, we're not going to go into the actual lineup there because that version of the Four Horsemen, excluding Arn Anderson and Ric Flair, was considered probably the weakest lineup they've ever had. Ole Anderson, who was long since retired from in ring competition, made a really brief appearance. Um, and Paul Roma, who was mostly an undercard wrestler in the WWF, was strangely added to the Four Horsemen. Arn Anderson did get one world title shot. In May of that year, against Barry Windham for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, and Barry Windham ended up beating him and retaining the title. And I just kind of wish that Arn, again, even if it was just for a brief, brief period, I wish WCW would have given him the belt at this point and let him carry that NWA World Heavyweight title. Just the the visual of Arn wearing wearing that uh, big gold belt would have been amazing. And honestly, he could have dropped it back to Barry Windham a few weeks later. He could have even dropped it to Ric Flair, and they and they could have had a feud at that particular time. The two of them didn't actually feud until two years later in nineteen ninety five at uh, Fall Brawl, before once again reforming the Four Horsemen. But um, like I said, Arn, incredible career, absolutely, absolutely a legend. It's it's just the same. A shame he never got even just a brief, brief taste of the of the world title. Your thoughts,
1: Kentucky guy? Okay. Okay, so you're not, you're going to be surprised at my answer, and you're not going to like it, I don't think. Arn Anderson, and let's just, let's just be honest about it completely. As soon as you said his name on tonight's episode, I had to, uh, I had to kind of brace myself. Arne Anderson was an average wrestler. You could almost say he was a jobber. His win-loss record alone was 89 wins and 88 losses with the NWA. So in the majority of his wins was when he tag teamed with Ric Flair. He was an overpaid and over glorified jobber and still is to this day. Now, did I think he had some good moves? Well, of course, he had the, uh, the Anderson uh, trademark move, but that was it. If he was never, you go back to his career. And he never, and he never teamed with his, by the way, his real life uncle, Ole Anderson. If he never teamed with him, or Ric Flair became a part of the Four Horsemen, he would have never succeeded in the business, in my thoughts. Aye, aye, aye. And I hate saying that about Arn Anderson, because people know that I used to love the horsemen, but here's the truth, man. He, he was the weakest link and always was. Okay, so let's, uh, Let's, uh, let's move on to uh, my Final Fantasy booking this week. My booking this week may surprise a few of you because you're going to wonder why. He's kind of like uh, Donnie's Choice when Donnie said that it wasn't actually what one company could have done different with him. But there is one company that almost destroyed this man's career, and that's what I'm going to talk about. So, in my fantasy booking this episode is Dustin Patrick Ronald. You may know him a little bit better under his ring name, Dustin Rhodes. All right. So, in September of '88, Dustin Rhodes, he actually made his professional wrestling debut as, as his name, Dustin Rhodes, defeating Bob Cook in a match for the Tampa Bay Championship Wrestling, which was in the Florida CWF promotion. The promotion was renamed Professional Wrestling uh Professional Wrestling Federation in February of 89 after Reynolds after uh Dustin Rhodes' father Dusty Rhodes began wrestling there. Reynolds captured the NWA Florida heavyweight championship from Al Perez on May 23rd, 1989. Holding it for a, for an entire month, in March of 89, he toured Japan for All Japan Pro Wrestling in its annual Champion Carnival Under the name Dusty Rhodes Jr. Then, in late 1990, he debuted as a fan favorite in the wrestling, in the World Wrestling Federation, wrestling as Dustin Rhodes. His first match in the WWF was against Paul Diamond on WWF on MSG Network, September 21st. In December 1990, Rhodes defeated Ted DiBiase in a televised 10 minute challenge match. On January 19th at the Royal Rumble, him and his father lost to Ted DiBiase and Virgi, Virgil in a tag team bout, and both left the company immediately after. In 91, he actually rejoined WCW. In August of 95, he returned to the WWF. So, yes, Dustin Rhodes, he did bounce back and forth a lot, especially in his younger days. When he returned, he became as the villain in '95. I'm sorry, he returned in '91. He returned in '91 to WCW, wrestling as the Natural Dustin Rhodes, until '95. In August '95, he returned to the WWF as a villain named Goldust, the bizarre one, which, as we know, was his most popular character to date. So he stayed there almost 10 years in the WWF, undergo dust. Collected titles, had a great run. Then on February of 2004, he debuted at Impact TNA as the Lone Star. He unsuccessfully challenged Jeff Jarrett for the NWA world title in a one-year contract that he did not renew. Here we go. Here's what I want to talk about. Here is a place that almost, Almost ruined his career. So after his contract was up, he left for a while. He did the independent scene for quite a while, and then on July fifteenth, two thousand and seven, Rhodes returned to the TNA wrestling at Victory Road. He aligned himself with Christian Cage, helping him defeat Wildcat Chris Harris. In an interview on TNA Impact conducted by uh, Mike Tenay, Rhodes discussed accusations of having a split personality. And stated that he was going to embrace it and let it out. TNA presented the interview as being an emotional breakdown on the part of Rose. On August 12th at Hard Justice, Rose debuted his new ring name, Black Rain. Even the name's horrible. And a new dark and bizarre look at Hard Justice, Harris actually defeated Black Rain via disqualification when Black Rain attacked several referees. The next week, the gimmick was uh, explored even further, saying that Rhodes constantly switched between Rhodes and the Black Ring. This right here almost ruined his career. Okay? Why? Basically what they did is they took, they tried to do a go-dust wannabe. Go-dust wannabe. During, during the match with uh, Chris Harris, and by the way, it wasn't even a good match. And he shoved referee Earl Hefner down for the DQ. And Harris was gushing everywhere with blood. Black Rain actually props him in the head with a spike, which later we found out he actually calls Darkness Fall, and he'd carry it with him no matter where he went. If you, it's just so weird. There would also be another item in his hand that would be Misty, his pet rat, which he kept in a cage. <laughs> you see, this gimmick was so far off base. It just doesn't make any sense. And my question was, where where on earth was Peta during this whole time as this character? I mean, it was live. It was a live mouse in a cage. Normally, they cry over anything. So why weren't they? Anyways, one observer says Dustin Rhodes is rightfully viewed as a legend after spending many decades in the wrestling business. The in-ring work of Dustin during the Natural Gimmick and the character work during the Go-Dust gimmick each led him to developing a strong reputation. TNA, unfortunately, got the worst of Dustin's career when he tried to reinvent himself with the Black Brain character. The creative team wanted to have a darker version of Go-Dust with a black wig, different paint, and a pet rat. And it failed with Dustin's career taking a hit until the comeback later, heading back to the WWE. And he was able to come back. He is still wrestling and he's uh i think he's actually in our news today and we'll talk a little bit about that so i won't ruin that i won't jump ahead but yeah that's why tna i don't know what they're thinking i know they were i know they're still in business right but they have made so many mistakes and you know just to give you an example before you ever went to tna he was a two time wwe tag team champion a three time intercontinental champion nine time Hardcore champion, two-time WCW champion, two t- two t- or tag team champion, two-time US US champion, <laughs> and even both runs in TNA, there was no titles, none, not even a tag. So TNA dropped the ball. They had a gold mine because he went back to WWE and he was very successful after the Black Reign debacle. So don't you can't blame it on the man. You've got to blame it on creatives and the stupid gimmick that he was given. Your thoughts? So my
0: overall thoughts about Dustin Rhodes just as a performer across his career. He's always been very good. There's no question about it. You just you just said it. Kentucky, Kentucky guy has a lot of titles to speak about. Um, multiple times, different companies have tried to embarrass him in his career, including WWF, when uh, Gold Dust became the artist formerly known as Gold Dust. I think that was in 1999. He started dressing in these crazy outfits and just going completely off the rails. I mean, I guess you could say that was the attitude era, but that was that was the first time I said, "All right, this this guy has totally lost it, totally lost me," I should say, on television. And then they then when he went back to WCW in around ninety nine two thousand, they were going to debut him as another character called Seven, where he was going to wear this white mask and and this dark hat and trench coat and. They knew that gimmick wasn't going to get over, so they ended up burying it on his first television appearance. And then TNA, of course, didn't learn from any of their mistakes. They just said, well, let's try to do a darker version of Gold Dust." And yeah, Black Rain was pretty terrible. I mean, at that point in his career, I mean, just bring him back as Dustin Rhodes. You don't have to make him another character. He's a veteran. He can help put younger talent over... So yeah, there's no question that TNA uh, dropped the ball as far as that went. And I respect Dustin Rhodes a lot because he faced years and years of uh, substance abuse, and he definitely turned his life around. But one caveat I want to say to all of this, as good as Dustin Rhodes has been, he just was never quite on the same level as his dad, the American dream Dusty Rhodes uh, you know, he always was the guy that I think aspired to be a main eventer, but it was never quite there. As hard as he tried, but uh, I mean, again, those are just my thoughts, and but I do agree with you that TNA in many ways uh, definitely uh, tried to ruin his career, even though it wasn't the first time.
1: Yeah, and I uh, I actually agree with you. He was he was nowhere near the same level as his dad. Uh, you know, when we put people on this list and talk about them, it's not that they're our favorite wrestlers, It just You know, you and I see an injustice, and we talk about it and how to fix it. I would go on to say that Dustin Rhodes has never been on the same level as his brother, his little brother, Cody Rhodes. Now, I think Cody Rhodes is a much better wrestler than Dustin. What's your thoughts on that? If you had asked me that question four years ago,
0: I I would have said, "Mm, don't know if I agree with that, but after his runs in Ring of Honor, New Japan, AEW and now back in WWE I would I would agree with you on that
1: thank you thank you very much okay so let's move on to the next segment and that's wrestling news and rumors around the water cooler all right first headline and this is a big one the reason why WWE Nick Bloodlines acknowledgement ceremony segment on Raw 30th anniversary show tonight WWE originally announced that there would be a bloodline acknowledgements ceremony, only to cancel it and instead announce a trial of Sami Zayn segment to take place on Monday's, uh, Raw 30th anniversary show. Some fans thought this might have something to do. By the way, there are two, the first two headlines go together, so I'm going to read them both first and then we'll, uh, go back. Some of the fans thought it might have something to do with The Rock not working WrestleMania 39, as WWE had hoped he would wrestle Roman Reigns at the upcoming show. This is not the case, as the company knew for a while that The Rock would not work the show. Dave Meltzer reported in the F4 Wrestling Online Daily Update that AFA and Sika weren't ready to make the trip, and Rikishi was sick. So, WWE just next to the entire segment. Metsuro, quote, that change was made because Alpha and Sika and Rikishi were all not going to be able to be there. They were to be the key people, but Alpha and Sika were not ready for the trip and Rikishi got sick this week. So, the idea basically fell apart. Creative has changed with the Bloodline story on Friday to reflect the change in Raw. And what happened was not what was originally scripted to happen. So that's the first headline. We'll get back to that. But this one goes along with it, since since that one mentions it. Next headline. (laughs) WWE knew for a while that The Rock could not do WrestleMania 39. Although WWE has wanted to bring The Rock back for a WrestleMania 39 match against Roman Reigns, it does not look like that will happen, thank God. WWE wanted an answer from The Rock for Mania by the middle of January ahead of the Royal Rumble as they look to lock in their WrestleMania plans. As previously reported, The Rock's status for WrestleMania 39 is not set in stone, but it doesn't look like he will be wrestling due to him feeling like he doesn't have enough time to get into the kind of shape he feels he's needed for the match, which is BS. Because if you look at him, He's bigger now than he ever was when he was wrestling. I mean, dude, come on. While speaking on Wrestler Observer Radio, Dave Meltzer noted, WWE knew for a while that The Rock felt he couldn't get in the ring, couldn't get right in the ring shape by April. Quote, anything is possible and it's certainly possible. He could be keeping everything a secret from all by one or two people. But the word is that he doesn't have time to get into shape. Although all along, if he has the time to do it, he will do it. Put it this way. Most are of the opinion that it's not happening. And it's been for months not happening. Those on the inside thoughts the odds were not good based on the thing because his schedule. There's no such thing as a hundred percent because it's a very secretive business within the company. It's not looking good, Meltzer stated. Meltzer also talked about the change to Monday Night's Raw. We just went over that, blah, blah, blah. And, quote, I I would say no, only because what I just said is what I said in this week's Observer, unless I say it's a big swerve. It was known by the insiders as a probable thing for a while. It's not like something he all of a sudden gave the final word on. Thursday, like, hey, I'm not doing it. It's like they were aware, they knew. I think this was just a change of plans, Meltzer stated. And as we find out, it was a change of plans, not because of The Rock, but because the, uh, uncles and Rikishi were unable to make. So, so first of all, this, this second, this second headline makes me happy. I'm glad that Punk is not going to ruin WrestleMania and not show up. Makes me very happy. Told you guys, told you he was too old, told you, and now he can't even get his weight off. I mean, fat boy, go to the gym. So yeah, so he's not going to be there. That's wonderful. On the segment change for tonight, I kind of hate, I can see why it happened. I kind of hate to see it happen. My thing is, is I don't understand the trial of Sami Zayn. What else does Sami Zayn have to do to prove himself? We talked about this on the podcast that I was on earlier. And my question, their question to me, because I was supposed to be like the, they don't follow wrestling. And when they bring me on, I'm supposed to be like the wrestling expert or or what have you. Uh, (laughs) Anyways, so their their question was, what else does Sami Zayn have to do? Or are they going to end the storyline? And I told these guys, and just like I'll tell you all, my audience, they're not changing the storyline with Sami Zayn. This is their cash cow right now. Sami Zayn is going to be he's one of the most popular stars because of the storyline and the way he's done in the WWE. They're not going to change it right now. Not right now, maybe soon. I think soon, but not definitely not tonight. So I don't know what this court thing is, but They need to be careful because they're kind of copying, again, old themes from the past. You guys remember Eric Bischoff's court. Just saying, we don't need to go backwards, Triple H. We need to go forward. Your thoughts, sir? Well,
0: my first reaction is going to be to the second headline. Um, Like you said, it's not a 100% guarantee that The Rock is not going to compete at Mania, that it could could all be just a well-protected secret, could be a swerve. But I actually think that by this point, considering the Royal Rumble is later this week, and we are just about two months away now from WrestleMania, that if the plan was to truly move forward with The Rock versus Roman Reigns, we'd be getting some sort of hints being dropped. On television, regardless of how subtle they might be, we'd be getting something—something something to sink our teeth into—and and to go, "Ooh, that's that—that's the one right there." They're—they're—they're they're, they're telling us that's what's going to happen at, at Mania this year. I personally, as much as it pains me to say this, Kentucky guy, I don't think we are going to get the Brahma Bowl versus the Tribe the Chief God. at WrestleMania this year. Thank God. It's, un- it's unfortunate. I would have been there for it, but. We're not good. Um, so, that, so that's that. So I think people need to temper their expectations. Is there always a chance that The Rock could show up at WrestleMania in some capacity? Absolutely. That has not been 100% debunked. But as far as a match, it takes a person. I don't care how good a shape you are in in real life. I don't care how many days you hit the gym, do your cardio, whatever. It's a completely different type of shape you have to be in for a wrestling match, especially one that goes more than 10 minutes. So I don't believe The Rock is going to be ready for Mania. I think that if it happens, happens further down the line when he has more availability, it's not going to happen this year. Um, as far as the trial of Sami Zayn, I actually kind of like that if they're that if this is meant to be reminiscent of Eric Bischoff's court from back in the day, that they're doing a little bit of a throwback. Nothing wrong with uh, with taking an idea that hasn't been used in many years and just putting a different coat of paint on it every now and then, but one thing I will say about Sami Zayn is that I agree, he's one of the most popular acts in WWE. I truly believe that this storyline saved Sami Zayn's WWE career, because even though he's won championships on the main roster, what had he really done of true value in the months leading up to this storyline? You know, he always is a good worker and can talk, but he was kind of being treated like an afterthought in many ways, and then this storyline happened. It reinvigorated the audience's interest in the bloodline, and there you have it. To end the story now would be foolish. I don't think WWE is going to do it. I think there's a bigger payoff a little bit further down the road as we get closer to WrestleMania.
1: Yeah, and as far as Sami Zayn before this storyline, I think you're correct because he was a. Con- they were turning him into like a conspiracy theorist. And it just, it wasn't working. It wasn't working. He wasn't getting over. Ever since he lost the Intercontinental title, he just, he wasn't getting over anymore. So, yeah, I think this move was smart, very smart, and saving his career and prolonging the bloodline story. I think he had a hand in that as well. However, The Rock, so, unfortunately for you, my friend, time, as time goes on, we get older. We don't get younger. So, if you said you made the statement, if it happens down the line, how can it happen down the line? The dude's going to get just keep getting older. So, let him go off and be fat and happy doing Hollywood stuff and leave the wrestling to the real tribal chief in the head of the table. All right, next headline. Recent WWE office cuts were a big topic of the conversation backstage at this week's SmackDown. When any company is looking to sell, there will be cuts as they look to trim up its financials to make the business more profitable to make it more appealing to potential buyers. WWE decided to release a bunch of people on Friday. The first firing spree since Triple H took over the main roster of creative last July. This is also just a week, a few weeks after Vince McMahon's WWE returned as the Executive Chairman of the Board of Directors to explore the possibility of a sale. Adam Hopkins was fired from WWE this week after 25 years with the company. A shocking departure as he was the President of Communications for the company. Still unclear which departments received the most significant cuts so far. Okay, so the, the very real possibility, if it hasn't sunk in, folks, they are looking to sell this company. Once you start letting people go, and the first statement in this article is absolutely true. Any company that's getting ready to try to sell a major company, especially for billions of dollars, they're going to try to firm up their books and cut the fat they, should, they, they say. And this sometimes means cutting positions, not because you don't need them, because you actually do, but they were extra positions, you could say. Somebody else can do actually two positions. I've been there before. I've been through, in the private sector, I've been through three different uh, company, uh, uh, where they took over our company. It was actually sold out. So, acquisition. So, anyways, yeah. So, if you were thinking that this was, uh, you know, it wasn't possible, it's still, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's definitely possible. (laughs) They're definitely trying to get it in shape for that. So, I thought that was kind of significant, so I wanted to talk about it. Your thoughts, sir? I, I mean, can't say anything to disagree with that. I
0: mean, when positions start getting cut, it is usually a sign that the, the company's going to be sold, and they have to downsize however they can. It's like, which of these positions are redundant? I've seen it in, in the business world as well, and it's unfortunate to see people lose their jobs. I, it's never a good thing. It's terrible. Um But WWE has got to do what they got to do uh, to preserve their future. And I just hope, as a longtime fan, I mean, someone who has watched wrestling for 30 years, I hope that they make the right decision when they eventually make the sale. Because the worst thing that they could do is sell to a party that is going to basically isolate the fan base and is going to cause them to lose viewership. Um and again, we don't know what uh, what other uh, cuts within the business are on their way. Like you said, we don't know which departments yet are uh, were the most heavily impacted. But, uh, yeah, unfortunate, but this is just the reality of business.
1: And let's just put our uh, cards on the table. If Saudi Arabia was to buy the WWE, and this is going to be a pretty strong statement for someone who's been a wrestling fan as long as I have, if they buy the WWE, there's a 95%, 95% chance that we no longer will be talking about WWE on this show. Just AEW, Impact, and what have you. Because I can't support something that dictators and, and political people that hurt their own people and women, I, I just I can't support a company that does that. So I'm, I'm like you. I hope they do the right thing. I mean, shoot, I'll even take Comcast right now over this Saudi Arabia financial group. Anyways, let's move on to the uh, next headline. Teddy Long talks Raw 30th Anniversary Show. Stephanie and Vince McMahon. All right. So ahead of tonight's WWE Raw 30th Anniversary Show, All-of-Famer Teddy Long talked with Sportski about some of the -the behind-the-scenes things happening in the WWE. Teddy Long, on his upcoming appearance at Raw 30th anniversary, quote, I'm so, so happy to be a part of that, man. I can't wait to get there and see all the fans. And you know, man, you know me, I'm just going to be holla, holla, holla. Long was asked, what differences are there between Vince and Stephanie McMahon in the terms of their management skills and how they treated people backstage? Quote, well, I think that Vince and Stephanie are basically the same. They're just strictly business, you know, no hard feelings against anybody to make them feel bad or whatever, but it's all about business. If Stephanie and Linda McMahon are more alike than Stephanie and Vince, quote, well, I don't know. I had a chance to do a couple of skits with Linda McMahon, and I might have been in something else, but I never did try to put, try and put them two together, their reaction or anything like that, because I never looked it like that. I never did see Miss McMahon as much as I saw Stephanie and Vince. So I couldn't tell you. When I had encounters with Miss McMahon, she was always sweet, just as nice as she could be. Great. But with Vince and Stephanie, I got to see both sides. He started to laugh. On what did he think about Shane McMahon was like when it came to business? Quote, Shane was laid back. He was cool. He knew how to get along with everyone. Shane was also business, too. He inherited that. So he understood, too, that when it's time to play, it's time to play. But when it's business, it's business. So I thought that was an interesting article on Teddy Long. I didn't know Teddy Long was going to be on the show until I found this. Also, he, you can tell, I don't, I mean, is he, is he interviewing for a job? I mean, he does not want to ruffle anybody's feathers whatsoever. That is probably the basic middle watered down answers you could give in any interview. So I just, it was fascinating. Maybe he's looking to come. I don't know. I, it, it was odd, but uh, anyways, your thoughts. I just think that Teddy's making a smart move by
0: realizing that he's had a long standing relationship with the WWE and wants to, Continue that relationship for the foreseeable future. And I don't think he was necessarily hinting that there's a dark side to either Vince or Stephanie, but it was just basically him saying, you know, look, every, every boss has their good and bad days. And, uh, you know, they were, they always treated, treated me well and made me feel a part of the company. And, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have anything to gain by, by talking against anyone here. He was, I mean, he was just being a professional, and that's that's what Teddy Long has all, always been known for being. Let me holla at you, player.
1: All right. So this next headline is for you, uh, Donnie. Actually, I found it. Like, oh, I've got to talk about this because uh, we've talked about this before, and I seen some excitement in your voice when we talked about it once upon a time. It's been a few months. Here we go. Uh let's see, next headline. Former tag team champions may be returning to the WWE. It looks like the WWE is interested in bringing back another act from Triple H's days as head of NXT. Reports say that there have been several discussions about the authors of Pain returning to the company. And there's also been talk about Paul Ellering returning too. Ellering was their manager in NXT. AOP was a monster tag team in NXT during their NXT run. They won the tag team titles and the 2016 Dusty Rhodes Tag Tournament Classic. They, they are also former Raw tag team champions as well. AOP was moved up to the main roster in 2018, but the team was pulled from TV once Razier suffering a tricep injury. Paul Ellering told the, two, the two-man power trip team of wrestling podcast that there were plans for them to return to TV. Quote, The idea was to bring them back in, but then this corona stuff came up, Hillary said. Then the guys got hurt, and they were out a while, so everything got put on the back shelf, and I don't know where it sits now. It sounds like they may get another shot, though, with the WWE now that Triple H is heading the creative end of things. And you know what? I was an AOP fan. I'm good with it. Even though I know this makes you happy, Mr. Cage, <laughs> I cannot knock this because uh Paul Ellering, he is a legend. Let him come back and be a manager. That's fine. Make him make sure he gets a paycheck. His daughter is wrestling now in TNA and she's doing phenomenal. That is a wrestling family. And AOP, these monsters, they were great. They were great on the main roster and they were great in, they were super great in the So. Yeah, I'm all for it.
0: Your thoughts? I would be all for it myself because, as I said the previous week, you know, you've got some great tag teams in WWE, but the problem is the Usos have beaten almost every single team that there is in WWE. And, um, I mean, eventually you got to mix it up. you got to add some fresh blood. And these guys were super dominant in NXT. They showed flashes of dominance on the main roster here and there but they were never booked consistently. Now, unfortunately, the injury bug hit both guys, and that kept them out of the ring for lengthy periods of time. I never understood the reason why they split them up from Paul Ellering. That made no sense at all. Um, That apparently was not a Triple H call. It was a Vince McMahon call, a very stupid call, quite honestly. Um, And at one point, I know they were paired up with uh, Seth Rollins in uh, his... In his stable with, uh, I think it was with uh, Buddy Matthews when he wrestled his Buddy Murphy in WWE. Um, but then they released these guys, like you said, uh, d- during the pandemic, and which was a huge mistake. And they really haven't done much since that time. They had that short-lived wrestling promotion over in the UK that they were trying to start up. And that, unfortunately, went nowhere. But uh, I'd be 100% in favor of bringing these guys back if they could. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh- I am, uh, I'm for it. Let's, let's, let's see it. Let's make it happen. Let's do it. Next headline. WWE. This one actually shocked me. WWE has approached Stone Cold Steve Austin for a match with Roman Reigns. WWE has reportedly pitched a major match that would pit the company's top star, against the WWE Hall of Famer uh, at WrestleMania 39. All right, so this is from Fightful Select Report that the rumors are The Rock might not be coming back for WrestleMania. WWE internally pitched a potential match between Stone Cold Steve Austin and Roman Reigns, the reigning undisputed WWE Universal Champion. They reported that Austin's side was approached about the possibility and the match would be four more for an erroneous amount of money. WWE approached Austin in the summer of twenty twenty two with an offer that he didn't find financially appealing. Sources indicate that they did they didn't know whether the recent offer was accepted, while another source noted that the other big name has been offered months ago. The plan as of December would see Reigns face Cody Rhodes in a one world title match at WrestleMania, while Rhodes or Drew McIntyre would face Seth Rollins in the other. It's unclear whether these plans have changed. Austin returned to the ring after he previously retired following his match at WrestleMania 19 in 2003 at WrestleMania 38, where he defeated Kevin Owens in a no-holds bar match, which was great. I thought Austin looked fantastic. However, And this pains me because I was a Stone Cold Steve Austin fan. But your days have gone just like The Rock. It's over. Don't mess with the tribal chief or you're going to get smashed. So just stay out. Stay out. Don't do it. Your thoughts? Kentucky guy, we we already
0: talked about how we're not getting The Rock this year. And that's all fine. That's all well and good. But let me tell you something. They want to sell tickets i mean, re- I mean, real tickets and pack that stadium. You gotta have a big name taken on the big dog at Wrestlemania. And there are very few names left in wrestling that are as big as Stone Cold Steve Austin. And think about this. If the Tribal Chief were to actually beat the Rattlesnake, this would cement his name in history even more. I mean, Austin is responsible for launching... The WW then WWF now WWE into new heights of success that they hadn't seen for close to a decade prior to him prior to him being the main event talent that he was. So win, lose or draw, I I don't even care whether Austin wins the match. Just seeing him go one on one against the big dog on the grandest stage of them all,
1: I, I I'm there for it. Sign me up. The match would be boring as it could be. It would. The match would be so boring. Steve Austin, Kevin Owens had a hard time carrying him last year, and the match didn't last that long. I mean, he even messed up on the stunner that he gave Vince McMahon. It looked horrible. That, I, let's just move on. <laughs> Okada, the famous New Japan wrestler. Okada wants a wrestling World Cup, and he would even talk to Tony Khan, And Triple H, if necessary. Huh. Okada is interested in competing in the Wrestling World Cup, and he's willing to meet with Triple H or Antony Khan in order to make it happen. Speaking with Tokyo Sports, the reigning IWGP World Heavyweight Champion noted, like other World Cups, wrestling is a competition between countries. Quote I used to be an all star, but last year we had the soccer. World Cup, and this year we had the Baseball World Cup and Rugby World Cup, Okada said. Professional wrestling is also a competition between countries, and it would be interesting to fight as a representative of Japan. The Soccer World Cup was fun, and I think the WBC would also be a stimulus as well. Okada went on to describe how having a wrestling competition between countries on a global scale would be fun. He noted that it could allow him to team up with the WWEs Shinsei Nakamura. Okada admitted that he doesn't know if it would work, but he believes it would be interesting. Quote, "I think that kind of thing is being held overseas, but I don't think there are many there are any big comp- competitions." Okada said, "I think it would be fun to do something on a global scale. Maybe Okada and Shinsei Nakamura will come out as a tag team. I don't know if it'll work. Uh, I thought it would be interesting to do so with various groups. The IWGP World Heavyweight Champion then pointed out that the companies have been working together recently as WWE and AEW stars competed at the New Japan Pro Wrestling Wrestle Kingdom. He stated that he will go see Tony Khan and Triple H if necessary necessary in order to make the wrestling world cup happen quote yes i will go see tony khan and triple h if necessary even at the tokyo dome this time there were AEW players kenny omega wwe players carl anderson and mercedes who quit wwe the current new japan is all already worldwide isn't it there are players from various countries so i want to do something interesting somehow when I was talking about it just now, I really want to do it. And he started to laugh. I think that it's great. I was a fan of the uh, the Forbidden Door pay-per-view that AEW done. I wish they'd have done a little bit different. I was a fan of it. And I'm a huge fan of these cross promotions. It it brings some of these fantastic wrestlers that not everybody watches. There's not a whole a whole lot of people in the United States. Let me put it that way that actually watched New Japan Wrestling. I have watched it for many years. I love it. And there are so many, and Okada's one of them, so many great athletes over there and superstars, just like the uh Henny Omega used to be over there. You know, I, and I know that we know who these guys are now because of AEW. However, there are a lot more. There are so many more that we just don't know. And I think something like this, I think he's on something. Would help as well. They already do the World Cup. Uh, I think Ricochet won it. Yeah, Ricochet won it this year on the WWE program. So to do something, if they could work out and get rid of these boundaries and work something out with every organization, wow. That could be as big or close to it as WrestleMania e- each year. Your thoughts? Well, we always talk about knocking down or taking
0: a walk through the forbidden door, knocking down doors, bridging gaps between companies. And if somehow they could pull off a partnership between WWE, AEW, and New Japan Pro Wrestling, the, the top three wrestling promotions in the world, let's face it, it would be monumental for the industry. I would a hundred percent be there for it. Whether it will realistically happen or not, I don't know. I think it is more likely to happen if this long-rumored sale of the WWE actually takes place, because with Vince McMahon currently in the mix as executive chairman, and yes, I know he's not technically involved with creative, there are still probably certain decisions he's making, and Vince McMahon always wanted a global monopoly of the wrestling world, the sports entertainment world, as he would call it. But I think with a fresh set of eyes, it could be a possibility, and it could be great for business. I, I mean, I do think that Triple H is the type of guy who's a smart businessman and would be open to an idea like this. But it ultimately might, might not be up. I would love to see it. Could it happen? You know, maybe it's a possibility. But like a lot of things in this business, never say never. But we'll have to wait and see how it plays out.
1: I tell you what, if Okada came down to the WWE and did the Rainmaker on this McMahon, that would definitely change his mind. <laughs> All right, so uh, next headline. Muto teams with AEW Sting and Darby Allen in his final match as the Great Muda. Muto went out went out a winner as the Great Muda when he had his retirement match for that character in pro wrestling N O A H on Sunday morning, yesterday. He teamed with AEW stars. Darby, Allen, and Sting uh, to beat Akira, ashiji and somebody else. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce that name. Sting hit the scorpion uh, death drop, Allen hit a coffin drop, and Muda closed with another shining wizard to Akushi. Post-match, Muta attacked him ringside and then stabbed him with the grave marker before signing his name in blood. Muta used the item by stabbing him in the head, cutting him open earlier in the bout. The great Muda is the alter ego of Muda, of Muto, who will have his retirement match on February 21st against NATO. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting. So, that door, once again, is, is the great Muda or Muto, I didn't even, I don't even know what you want to call him now, but he is signed with New Japan Wrestling still. So to let Darby Allin and Sting go there, especially with the history the Great Muda had with Sting, I thought was pretty, pretty straight up cool on Tony Khan's part. So on the, this kind of brings me, and that's why I ran it right after the, uh, World Cup headline, because I think that Tony Khan would already, I think he's already on board with the World Cup, because he just doesn't have a problem with it. And he wants to continue to build this relationship with New Japan. And he's doing a very good job. And this is a very good way of doing it because we all know how popular the great Muda was or is in New Japan pro wrestling. So I thought that was interesting. That's why I wanted to mention it. Your thoughts. I mean, what a
0: career the great Muda had. I mean, this was a great way to really close the door on his legendary career, which, Really got started in in the states in the NWA back in the late eighties. Um, very fitting that Sting would team with him in his uh, last match as the Great Muta. They certainly have uh, had both a rivalry and a friendship all throughout wrestling history. And yeah, just the fact that uh, Tony Khan was able to uh, to broker this uh, partnership for for this matchup just shows you how savvy of a businessman he is. I, I mean, I, th- I think it was great for everybody around. No question about it. But but please, Muda, Muda, Muda. You're 62 years old now, man. You got to you got to hang up the boots. That's a, that's all I'm saying. Don't pull a Rick Flair and come back in 5 years to wrestle your retirement match.
1: Yeah, don't 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 ruin your legacy like Flair did. I agree. And then the final headline of wrestling news and rumors around the water cooler. Now, this headline here Basically, this isn't a rumor. This is this is actual news. This is news that I actually broke on the on our on one of our episodes. I don't think it was the last episode, maybe the one before or what have you. And I just want to reiterate this because now I'm not the it's not just coming from my sources, but Dave Meltzer as well. So, headline is Tony Khan has put CM Punk on ice for now in AEW. CM Punk has been missing from AEW programming Since early September following the backstage brawl with the Elites after the all-out pay-per-view event, he ripped the Elite, Hangman Page and Co-Command at a press conference for the brawl. A.W. suspended everyone involved following an investigation while they fired a still. The Elite returned in November. Punk is also out of action with an injury that required surgery as he suffered a torn tricep during the main event of all-out against John Moxley. As previously reported, CM Punk and AEW had been in talks about a potential contract buyout, with Punk being the one to push for it. That's a lie. Punk is, that's wrong. Sorry, I didn't realize that was in there like that. No. AEW, Tony Khan has been pressured. Tony Khan didn't want to do it at first. He's been put on so much pressure on him to get rid of this guy. Now that the new and real evidence came out that Punk started it all, and he's been pushing, Punk has been raising his price of an ungodly amount for the contract buyout. Anyways, I just want to throw that in there because I want you guys to be straight up and in in the news on this. In the latest edition of Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Dave Meltzer reported that the CM Punk side believes that AEW president Tony Khan has put Punk on ice for the time being. Meltzer wrote, right now from the Punk side, The belief is that Tony Khan has put punk on ice for now, and there's no idea to use him, no ideas to use him that have been presented, but no talk at all of late to release them either. However, however, Tony Khan does have a while before he has to make that announcement and face the music, which that's coming. Okay. And you have to remember one thing. The long, it's kind of smart business wise. Remember, Tony Khan, say what you want about him. He didn't get where he is in life, not being a smart businessman. It is kind of smart because just think about it from a business perspective. The longer you wait, the more you eat up of that contract. Therefore it brings the price down of the buyout. So yeah, put him on the shelf. Let him be on the shelf. He's injured. You know, he's not on the main roster. He's not listed anywhere now. So yeah, just let it do it, let it ride out, and then As the time goes on, months go on off the contract, you're going to save yourself quite a bit of money. So it makes sense to me from a business standpoint. Don't get me wrong. As a wrestling fan, I wish they'd just come out tomorrow and say, hey, we got rid of this guy. This dark plague is no longer part of AEW. Let's move on. But from a business standpoint, yeah, I get it. I get it. Your thought. I'm a little conflicted, Kentucky guy, because in one breath, you know, after
0: all the the truth about what happened after the all out press conference came out, my first thought was he needs to cut his ties now. Doesn't matter what he has to pay him, just just get rid of CM Punk. Get, he's a stain on the legacy of AEW right now. Just get rid of him. Get rid of him. But you did bring up an interesting point that the longer they let his contract run out and run out and run out and run out, the less money they're obligated to pay him when all when all is said and done. Um, so maybe that's the, maybe that's the solution. Maybe you got to play the long game here and just let the contract run out. Uh, that way, that, that way he's fully paid up and you can kick him out the door and, uh, and just be like, c'est la vie. The, the The best of luck to you, Phil. Um, there is that part of me, that selfish part of me that almost feels like they could have turned this all into an angle on television, uh, once Punk gets healthy and just make him this... Super cocky, uh, you know, heel who wants to get back at the fans and the locker room and this, this, and this and storyline. But problem with doing that is I don't think there's anyone in the locker room that wants to work with him at this point in time. I think the only person who really had anything positive to say about Punk was, recently was was I think Dax Harwood from uh, FTR, just because the two of them had a close relationship back in WWE, but. No, I mean, there's nobody left in AEW that wants to work with CM Punk. So, Tony Khan, you're you're doing the right thing right now. Hopefully, whatever legal fallout there is from this whole situation is going to be minimal, and you can just, you and your company can go, go on with your lives and continue to create good programming.
1: Yeah, let's, uh, so I'm going to make a statement, and it's going to be a, maybe be controversial to some listening and you guys are going to be wondering how I can say it so matter of fact but like I said I know somebody who knows somebody that works for the company CM Punk will never be on AEW television again there you go unless unless PonyCon is prepared for a huge fallout and a loss of a lot of superstars and I'll just leave it at that but I don't ever see I'm 99% sure CM Punk will never be on AEW television again. The yeah, only 1% is anything can happen. Things change overnight in this business. I don't see that changing, but that's why I'm not going 100%. But I will go 99%, never again. Okay, so let's real quickly, I know we're running out of time, but let's do some results here because we didn't get to them last show. So let's do some uh, rampage results. Jungle Boy, Jack Perry versus Ethan Page. The winner was Jungle Boy, and this was due to his distraction uh, on Ethan Page. Matt Hardy was conflicted. They were trying to get Matt Hardy to attack Jungle Boy. However, he did win via roll-up. And then I'll talk about a couple of them, sir, and then we'll come right back to you. Then it shows Eddie Kingston and Ortiz, who were in the ring. Ortiz gets on the mic. He said that the person he thought was his friend, Eddie Kingston, has lost it by feeding it into all the mind games. The House of Black. He said Kingston was going to hit a woman with a chair, and and in his world they don't do that. He told Kingston to come out. Kingston came down with a chair. Ortez told Kingston that in their world they don't hit a woman with a chair, and asked him, "What if this is how his mother and father raised him? What would his mentor?" homicide say he would call him a coward and a fake tough guy Kingston then hit Ortiz with the chair and left him in the ring so therefore I think that uh yeah so you know first of all Ortiz you're a piece of crap too I mean you really are here you are going to stick up for this punk and now you see his true colors and you've already you were part of the Jericho uh inner circle and you blew that your partner, your best friend is hurt. What are you going to do now, man? What are you going to do now? Huh? You're going to swift off, and you're going to get lost in a shuffle. And then the next match, Brian Cage versus Willie Mack. Winner, Brian Cage. Your thoughts on those three, sir?
0: I'm happy to see Brian Cage uh, pick up a win. Uh, both him and Willie Mack, former Impact Wrestling talent, so a little bit of a renewal of a rivalry there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Brian Cage is actually going to be wrestling uh, Brian Danielson on Dynamite this week, which is going to be an exciting match. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Um, I I honestly could care less about the Ortiz-Eddie Kingston storyline. I've said to you before, I'm not an Eddie Kingston fan. I never have been. Ortiz, I like him when he's paired up with Santana as the proud and the powerful or LAX. At this point, because there's other wrestlers who need TV time, just take him off of TV until Santana's healthy again, in my opinion. Um, and then I gotta give props to Jungle Boy, man, uh, hitting the deadliest move in professional wrestling, the surprise roll up. Pin and Ethan Page.
1: Good for you, Jungle Boy. Oh, 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 it's a, it's a, Jack Perry. He's such a stupid name, Jungle Boy. I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand. All right. So then we had, uh, Jade Carhill and Leela Gray versus the Vanity Twins. The winner, Jade Carhill. Uh, and then we had oh the last match, Action Andrede versus Daniel Garcia. This was actually a decent match. I really enjoyed this match. Garcia was the winner, picked up the win. Definitely uh definitely deserved it. I, I thought that this was a-, a good match though. This Action Andrede, he's not horrible. He's he's actually pretty good. Your thoughts. You know, I have to admit I was expecting Action andrede to get the
0: upset win here over the former ROHPR champion, but Daniel Garcia proved me wrong. Got to give them credit where credits due, but definitely don't think this is the last we've seen of action Andretti. And I mean, as far as Jade Cargill and Layla Gray winning, um, I, I mean that was that was a given. I mean, Jade's been dominant. Layla Gray, I actually think has been improving in the ring too. So I'm curious to see what they do with her in the future. But um, the 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 Vanity Twins, who who are they exactly? Did they did they did they just pluck them out of catering and ask them if they wanted to? you know fill in for somebody tonight on rampage
1: hey i forgot to get your uh you i didn't get to get your thoughts on this on the last episode because we didn't really get the chance to talk about the uh the results but what did you think about uh tony storm and uh Paige, sierra turning heel? it definitely surprised me um i'm kind of wondering
0: where they go from here with this storyline because i mean you've already got You've already got a major Hill faction with, uh, Britt Baker and Jamie Hader. So, and I don't know where this leaves Hikaru Shida at this point, because I thought they were leaving it, um, out as if she had betrayed Soraya and Tony storm. And now I'm not so sure. So she's kind of getting, she's sort of stuck in the middle unless I, unless I just missed something completely. But, uh, I mean, maybe this is a way to freshen things up for Tony Storm and Soraya. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, I certainly don't think they're turning Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter face at this point.
1: No, I just, uh, I kind of feel like they're spinning their wheels with Paige. I don't know. I just, I thought for sure she would be in the title hunt against Jade Cargill, but I, I guess I'm wrong on that. I, I, just odd. So let's, uh, let's quickly go over the uh, AEW Wednesday Dynamite card, what they have so far. Uh, first thing on the list is Family Therapy Session with Colton Gunn, Austin Gunn, the AEW World Tag Team Champions, the Acclaim, and Billy Gunn. So I don't know if Billy Gunn's trying to is going to try to put this faction back together or what. Uh, I, th- I think that they're all four jobbers, so I could care less. I know that two of them have the titles, but titles, tag team titles are pretty much meaningless these days in AEW with the punks they put them on. Uh, next match, Britt Baker versus Tony Storm versus Ruby Solo. This should be Britt Baker's time to shine on her own. Instead of carrying Jamie Hayter, she should win this match like she's won all the rest. Ethan Page and Matt Hardy versus Jungle Boy and Hook. Uh, that should be a great match. I look for, hook and jungle boy to pull that victory off those three sir your thoughts
0: oh yeah i definitely am uh picking jungle hook to to beat ethan page and matt hardy i i think if they want to continue her momentum i would go so far as say tony storm's going to win the triple threat women's match but then again they they did attack willow nightingale this past week, and she might insert herself in the match, and that could eventually lead to Britt Baker winning the match. So, uh, we'll have to see how that goes. As far as the acclaimed Gun Club segment, um, probably just going to end with somebody saying the scissor me phrase, and that's going to be it. Uh, I, I think it's a dumb segment. Uh, don't, don't know why it's going to take up probably about 15 minutes of an episode of Dynamite.
1: Yeah. And then we have, and I think I'm really looking forward to this match. I think it's going to be good. AEW TNT champion Darby Allen is going to defend his title against Buddy Matthews from House of Black. I think that's going to be a good match. Then we have the Ring of Honor World Six-Man Tag Team champion Brian Cage versus Brian Danielson. As Danielson looks to win about three of his five-match journey to the Iron Match with AEW World Champion MJF at Revolution. Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara versus, oh, by the way, I think they're not going to let Brian Cage beat Brian Danielson. Brian Danielson will win that match, unfortunately. Uh, Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara versus Action Andrade and Ricky Starks. And I look for Jericho and Guevara to destroy these punks. Your thoughts, sir? So,
0: um, I think Darby Allen will retain the TNT title. Um, I think it'll be a good match, but, uh, don't, we're definitely not going to get a new champion on this night. Uh, Darby Allen's riding a uh, wave of uh, success right now. Brian Cage, Brian Danielson, it'll be a great contrast to styles. I think we're going to have a lot of near falls in this matchup, but I do anticipate that the American dragon, Brian Danielson is going to pull off a victory. And then as far as the tag team match goes, you know, Jericho and Sammy, you guys are a great team. But you've got two young up-and-comers knocking on your door who I think are itching, itching to pull off an upset. And tell you what, Ricky Stark and Action Andretti both have it out for the Jericho Appreciation Society. And I think, uh, I think youth might, might be victorious in this case.
1: <laughs> oh, my friend. Please wake up. You're dreaming. Okay, so let's move on real quick. Uh, We actually have a Raw match card that was kind of decent, so let's take a look at this. WWE legends are set to appear as a part of the historic Raw 30th celebration. The bloodline to hold the the tribal court for Sami Zayn. Austin Theory defends his title against Bobby Lashley. Becky Lynch to battle Bailey one-on-one inside of Silk Gate. The Raw Tag Team Champions, the Usos, to defend their Raw title against Damian Priest and Dominic Mysterio. Okay, let's see. Austin Theory and Bobby Lashley. I think Bobby Lashley is going to take the belt from them. I have to say it. They're making, you know, Bobby had to fight in a match to get this opportunity again. And Raw 30th Anniversary Show is unlike. A normal raw, and I think that. Uh, but I, I think that the Usos could possibly almost lose their title, but they will be the winners in that. Bailey will beat Becky Lynch, and then I, I. How do you predict anything with this court? It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't even know what he's on trial for, so I have no prediction there. Your thoughts, sir?
0: Well, I think as far as the court segment goes, I think the final ruling is that Sami Zayn will be not guilty. I, I think the tribal chief is going to show him uh, some degree of mercy uh, with the advice of his wise man, Paul Heyman. Bailey and Becky Lynch are going to have a have an awesome match, but I am I'm going with the man to win this one. Hundred percent going for Becky Lynch to win this match. Um, Austin Theory and Bobby Lashley is a tough one. I am actually going to predict that Bobby's going to look really dominant. And he is going to be ready to put Austin Theory away. But I think we may see a return appearance from the beast, Brock Lesnar. Which could lead to uh, costing Bobby Lashley the, uh, his chance to become United States champion. So I'm going to predict that Theory is going to retain tonight. And as far as the tag team title match, it's going to be hard fought contest, And this could really go either way. But seeing as how the Usos still possess two sets of title belts, every good thing must come to an end, unfortunately, Kentucky guy. And I think with the momentum that they have had, I think Judgment Day is going to win the Raw Tag Team titles tonight.
1: (laughs) Oh, how dare you for the Royal Rumble say something like that? My goodness. Well, I got to get off this episode. Let's see. Smackdown results. Wow, I can't even believe Okay. SmackDown results. <laughs> we have Sheamus and Drew McIntyre face the Viking Raiders. This was in the first round of the SmackDown Tag Team Title Contenders Tournament. The winners, Sheamus and Drew McIntyre. I disagree with the way this went. First of all, I hate the name, the Banger Brothers. Second of all, the Viking Raiders, they seem to can't do it when it's all on the line. And that's sad that they're not getting pushed over. You have them so dominant, and they look great, but when the titles are on hand and push comes to sub, they always come up short. Hit Row, top dollar and Oste with uh, B-Fab versus Los Lultadores, uh First round of the Smack Team uh, Tag Team Tournament winner, surprisingly. Hit Row. And then we have Brawling Brute, which is Rich Holland and Butch, versus Imperial. They're on the first round of the tag team as well, contenders tournament. Winner, Imperial. So what what do you say about those three matches, sir? They're all the tag team title tournament matches. Well, I personally would have
0: booked two out of those three matches, matches differently. Why you would book Hit Row to beat Los Lotharios, two very talented uh, wrestlers, in uh, Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo. I don't know why you booked them to lose, but there you go. Um, the hit row thing is has worn out. It's welcome for me. And I know it wore out. It's welcome for you a very long time ago, so I am agreeing with you. Um, the Imperium Brawling Brutes match, that was a tough one to call because I like both teams, but I, I still am a firm believer that Butch, a.k.a. Pete Dunn, should eventually be moved back into a singles run. So it makes sense to have Imperium win here. They're the more established tag team, particularly from their run in NXT. Uh, you know, I, I'm with you with the Viking Ra- I don't know what they're doing with the Viking Raiders. These two guys used to be the Raw tag team titles. They were very dominant when they first debuted. I don't know why they lost this match. Drew McIntyre and Sheamus really did not need the win here. I, I get why they did it, but... I don't know. I just, I would have given the win to the Viking Raiders here.
1: And then there was one more match in the uh, tag team tournament that I forgot about. And that was uh Legado del Fantisma. And they faced a team that I didn't even think was still a team. The maximum Mel model. Yeah. In the first round of the uh, tag team contenders tournament winners, of course, Legado del Fantisma. Any, uh, any thoughts on that match? I also did not know that the maximum male models were still a team. I thought the
0: storyline a couple of weeks ago is that Mace or Massey or however you pronounce his name had gone missing, but apparently they resolved that off, off screen. Um, yeah, I mean, this was, this was a no-brainer. It, you have to book Legato to win this match.
1: We had L.A. Knight versus Glenn Jones. L.A. Knight was the winner, of course. I don't even know who Glenn Jones is. But then, ha, ha, ha. My favorite part of the show, the Firefly Funhouse reappeared on the video screen. And there is Bray Wyatt in the Funhouse. He said he's back with his friends in the house. And you could tell there was dust all over the puppets. And I, I thought it was great. And then Wyatt looks directly at Knight, who, and is the one who opened the door. This is what he said to him. He said, you're the one that opened the door. And whatever comes out of it is your problem. Okay, I have to believe that the Fiend is going to be at the Royal Rumble. Why? I mean, it doesn't make any, too many clues. And I'm here for it. And I think they're giving it to, they have worked this storyline so well. I talked about this on the podcast I was on earlier. They have done so well on this storyline. I am so impressed. And the brain of Bray Wyatt is just, sky's the limit. Man, when he's done with wrestling, he needs to become a writer for the company. He is just, his imagination is fantastic. By the way, spoiler alert, Uncle Howdy, it's been confirmed, is Bo Dallas. Bo Dallas was supposed to be at Raw on Monday, and he was. He was in the back, and we've seen Uncle Howdy on the Teletron. Bo Dallas is Uncle Howdy. There's no doubt in my mind anymore. None whatsoever. Your thoughts on this uh, match and promotion, sir?
0: I have a theory that the match itself at the Royal Rumble this Saturday is going to be one of those partials, partially cinematic matches where they're going to pre-record parts of it. That way they could try to do the whole uh, Bray Wyatt teleports to different locations. And then the match is maybe going to end in a live segment in the ring that the, that the live crowd's going to get to witness. I could be wrong about that, but I think if they have a few crazy tricks up their sleeve, then that's what they could possibly do. Which, in that case, we might see multiple personas from Bray Wyatt. I have no doubt that uh, Uncle Howdy's going to probably factor into this match in some form or another. Um... And yes, I did hear that that backstage rumor that Bo Dallas has been backstage at the recent shows um, and that he basically is playing Uncle Howdy. Even though he's been backstage, he's always been wearing the mask so that people don't actually get to see that it's him. The backstage reports have basically confirmed that he is. But, I, but I'm interested to see uh, where... Ray Wyatt's uh, creative mind takes us on Saturday. I hope it's not disappointing. I hope it's executed well. I hope it's more like the Firefly Funhouse match and less like the uh, Wyatt family swamp fight that we had at uh, the horror show at Extreme Rules.
1: Yeah, I think he learned. I think he learned from that match. I don't think you're going to see anything, just like the uh, Randy Orton match that he had. I don't think you're going to see anything like that. I think you learned from that, because that was just a little bit, I agree. It doesn't need to be anywhere, anything like that. And then the last part of the show, the bloodline made their way to the ring to sign the contract for this coming Saturday's match between Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens. Reigns took a seat and put his feet on the table. Kevin Owens snuck up from behind, hit solo Sequoia, and gave Reigns a stunner. The Usos showed up. And pulled out and pulled Owens out of the ring and they began fighting. Owens gave both of them a super kick and threw them against the ringside barrier. He got back in the ring, gave Reigns a pop up powerbomb through the table. Owens grabbed the contract from Paul Heyman, signed it. Sammy Zane shows up, got up on the ring apron and stared at Owens. Owens threw the contract at Zane and then ran out of the ring. Maybe that's what he's on trial for. Maybe maybe that's what this trial is, because he didn't act like he hesitated. And I remember seeing that now. And I remember seeing like Kevin Owens made a face like, hey, you're breaking. We're you're gonna you're gonna let him know what's up. And he threw it and ran. Why else would he run? He just got done fighting Sami Zayn the week before. So I don't know, man. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean this is this whole segment is what's leading to the trial of Sami
0: Zayn tonight. Um and you know, uh, we always say that there's inconsistent booking in wrestling, but the fact of the matter is, I mean, you got to make... Kevin Owens is challenging for the undisputed WWE Universal title on Saturday. You've got to make him look strong going into it. You've got to make it look like he could realistically unseat the Tribal Chief. It's not going to happen, in my opinion. Spoiler alert, alert for my predictions for the Royal Rumble. Kevin Owens is not winning the title this Saturday. But you have to make it look believable. And he has feuded with Roman in the past over the title long before the bloodline was formed. I'll never forget they had a great match at the uh, 2021 Royal Rumble event. Um, last man standing match. But, uh, you know, Sammy, Sammy didn't get there in time to make the save. So, oh, we've got to put him on trial because clearly there's a conspiracy between him and Kevin Owens here. Did
1: you catch the look, though, that Owens gave him before he threw the contract at him that I'm talking about?
0: Oh, I caught the look. No question about it. Um, I mean, I still think that, I still think that Sammy, in his mind, is loyal to the bloodline. But I also think that you know when you see when you when you notice things like that, like the look that Kevin Owens gave him, there's still those years and years of friendship there that are never going to go completely away.
1: Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Does it? Does okay. So uh, that's everything I have for this episode, sir. I know it was quite a bit, but. uh... A lot of telltale things there. A lot of stuff to unpack. And uh, man, oh man, we will give our predictions on the Royal Rumble on Friday, our next episode. This Saturday, I will be live streaming on YouTube as KYGuy80. Be sure to check it out. And you'll, we'll tell you more about that as well on Friday. Uh, but uh, that's all I have for this episode, sir. How about yourself?
0: I am all good, All right, Kentucky folks, guy. so
1: you've been listening to Against the Match. Wrestling Podcast With your co-hosts Donnie Cage and the Kentucky Guy. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you guys have a great week and as always God bless and God bless America.